Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm KW Taylor. This week, we're starting to lean into the autumn Halloween preseason, which I like to call spooky season, (laughs) (laughs) by discussing The Outsider by Stephen King, The Carol Haunt by Darcy Coates, both books, and the first episode of the new HBO series Lovecraft Country. But first, as a reminder, we're almost at the one-year anniversary of our show, and we are still conducting a survey to find out what you want to hear more of as we enter year two. The link to the survey is in our show notes, and we'll also have it available as a link on our Twitter account, at Podcast. Can you believe this is our 48th episode? I kind of can and can't at the same time. Does that make <laughs> sense? Because time's been so weird. Yeah, this year has felt like 20 years, so it's... Yeah, Yeah. on the one hand, I'm like, are we already on our 48th episode? And on the other, I'm like, has it only been 48 episodes? (laughs) Schrodinger's podcast. Yes. But we should should do a count of everything that we've covered this past year when we actually hit our big anniversary. That's a good idea. Uh, Once upon a time, I was keeping track, but... (laughs) I don't think I've done that in a while. <laughs> I think it wouldn't be too hard. We'll we'll discuss things like that on our anniversary episode. For sure. But now, our subjects this week. Carrie, you've been reading these Darcy Coates books. Well, I've only read one so far, but I, I've already gotten another one on Kindle. So I'm probably going to start that tonight after we record. But yeah, I I took a not quite forbidden trip to the bookstore. But you know how sometimes you just have to get out of the house. Uh And it was during the day, a weekday, and I was like, okay, this is, I'm going to go in for a little bit and that'll be like my big treat. (laughs) (laughs) I get a little socialization as a treat. (laughs) (laughs) So I I went in and I knew I wanted a spooky read because it's just sort of the mood that I've been in, especially because the weather turned cooler in the past week or two. So I went to the horror section, which I don't go to. Not because I don't like horror, just because I don't read it super often. I'm still sort of learning what I like in the genre, but I really like ghost stories. So I went to the horror section and it's basically, it's half Stephen King and half Darcy Coates, (laughs) 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 who I'd never really heard of. So I I looked at a few of them and I decided, you know, this one called The Caro Haunt looks really good, looks really interesting. So I picked it up and I, I really, really enjoyed it. And like I said, I'm going to be reading more of her. Have you ever read anything by her? No, and I do read a lot more horror than you do. So I'm kind of surprised that I haven't even heard of her. So tell me, tell me more. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> She's actually an Australian author. And this book came out in 2018. And she has a lot out. I don't know exactly the the count of books, but it, I feel like it's one of those things. If you if you like one book, you're probably gonna like the rest. So you can you know if you like it, you're gonna go crazy. You've got lots of reading material. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this book it's called the Carol Haunt, which is C A R R O W. Didn't realize as I started to spell that that my name starts with the first four letters. So I almost went into C A R R I E. So it's about a haunted house, and Remy is the main character. She's a tour guide for this house called the Caro House, and it's it's a private house. It turns out to be owned by a 17-year-old girl named April, and Remy does tours on the weekends, so it's not like a full-time gig. Uh-huh. 
there aren't visitors and tourists there all the time, mm-hmm. which kind of comes into play later. But the house has a creepy backstory in that it it was built by a doctor named John Caro. This is fiction, by the way. Did I? Yeah. Just in case anyone was worried. <laughs> <laughs> now I am. <laughs> I, well, I was talking about it like it was real. And then I was like, wait, maybe people won't know. But okay. So this <laughs> this house was built, I think, in like the 19th century by Dr. John Caro. And he built it as a sanatorium. So people could like go and, and get the sea air. It's described as being on the coast. I wasn't super aware that she was Australian when I read this. So mm-hmm. I was kind of picturing like the coast of Maine. Mm. But I, it's just an, sort of an unnamed village, an unnamed coastal area. It was kind of right at the end of when sanatoriums were being patronized. So the idea was that so people could come recover and and get the sea air. But he was super strict in what the patients could do. So they like had to go to bed at 7.30 and they they were on really strict diet. So it just like did not seem like a happy place. <laughs> and then they took on some workers and there was a worker named Edgar. So you kind of find out, you find out a little bit about this at the beginning, and I'm going to try not to tell you too, too much about the history, but there is a fire in the house, oh. and it, it gets boarded up for four months, and then when when it reopens, it reopens as a hotel instead of a, a sanatorium, oh. and John, he says, he tells everyone that his wife has died in the intervening four months when, like, no one saw them. And he looks a little bit different. He looks a little bit gaunter, just not very healthy. But they do end up reopening it as a hotel. And the, this is the the part that I kind—I don't want to say liked because that's a—that's <laughs> not the right <laughs> word. But the part of the story that I was sort of attracted to because it. So people basically people start disappearing from the hotel, mm-hmm. and. I was a little bit attracted to the the premise of the story because it reminded me of the so-called H.H. H. Holmes murder castle in Chicago oh, around yeah. 1895. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not the same story at all, but it, it does share similarities. And like the idea is that the house is very haunted because John basically started killing people, like killing the guests who came to his hotel. So Remy gives these tours like a hundred some years later. One night she gives one and there's a guy named Mark who comes and he's like, hey, you know what? I really liked your tour. Do you want to help me set up like an extended stay here? So he wants to to get permission from the owners, like basically rent out the house for two weeks, bring a medium and a ghost hunter and a couple other people, and they're all going to stay there for two weeks, including Remy, because she knows the history of the, of the house. Uh-huh. And they stay there for two weeks, and they, you know, sort of make discoveries. But he's, like, super vague about what he wants, uh-huh. which is a little bit suspicious. So uh-huh. I'm not going to go further than that. But, of course, creepy things happen, and maybe some bodies turn up. I don't <laughs> know. But... <laughs> Yeah, I just really, really enjoyed it. It's a it's a quick read. I was just looking today. I'm like seven books behind in my Goodreads challenge. <laughs> oh, no. I know, right? And we've discussed this in the past that 
you know, sometimes it's hard to get into books. Mm-hmm. And this was really easy for me because the style is really nice. And I want to say breezy. And I don't mean that as an insult or anything. It's just mm-hmm. it's a lot different from reading a fantasy where they're they just like dump all this, all these place names and character names and and like magic stuff on you in the first couple <laughs> chapters. And you're like, what? I can't keep this stuff straight. so this one starts with remy on a tour so you you do get a lot of that history in the first couple chapters and Mm. it doesn't really feel like an info dump because i was just like yeah what's what's where are these ghosts coming from (laughs) (laughs) so it just just sucked me in right away and maybe that's because it's you know autumn and i'm really ready for ghost stories Mm -hmm. but yeah i had a point but i don't remember what it was <laughs> so if you have a question this would be a good time <laughs> well this reminds me a little bit of the haunting of hill house which in the okay. not in the novel version but well a little bit in the novel but in the film version from like 2000 or something they really lean into the idea of it being these paranormal investigators and okay. that sounds really cool i think i would like this a lot it sounds spooky and i think you would too yeah cool yeah I may pick that up. I think you should. I'm also behind on my Goodreads list, so. <laughs> yeah. I didn't go super high. I mean, I went lower than some years, but I went higher than last year, and I'm feeling the uh, the pressure to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what comic books can I read? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I lowered mine a little bit, but then I'm also not in school anymore, and so I don't yeah. have the benefit of, like cranking through stuff that I'm assigned to read so it's all stuff it's all on me now it's hard <laughs> it's not terrible it's terrible and accountability I know and it's like it's not like I don't love to read but I so often hold it to like the last thing of the day and I fall asleep mm-hmm. so that's the problem I get that but you have been reading The Outsider by Stephen yes. King which is yes. it's sort of in the same vein sort of not I know there was an HBO series earlier this year Yes. But I don't really know anything about the story. So tell us about that. Yeah. This is one where I was really pleasantly surprised about some elements of it. And yeah, so last year, and I think I talked about one of these on the podcast, I read Stephen King's, he had a trilogy that was more police procedural. And I talked about Finders Keepers was one of them. And um, anyway, it turns out that a character from that trilogy is in The Outsider. And I I had no idea she was going to show up. So Oh, cool. So it's in the same little mini universe, but it's not solely focused on her. The The main storyline is that there is, there's been a murder in a small town in Oklahoma. It's not a real city. It's like near a couple of other fake cities too. In this universe that he writes, he tends to set things in the Midwest in not real places, which is kind of different from his older work that were all set in fake cities in New England. So now he's moved to the Midwest. So there's this little league coach, Terry Maitland, who a lot of people witnessed around town in and around the site of a murder of a child in the town. And it was a very, very gruesome murder. So I will say that that element of it is pretty hard to take. And they, they don't describe it inordinately, but it's if, if that's going to bother you, be aware. Okay. So a lot of people around town witnessed Terry Maitland. He's the little league coach, but he's also a high school English teacher. Saw him with the kid and with a vehicle and also saw him covered in blood. So Ralph Anderson is the police detective and he is like pretty sure that Terry has committed this murder. So he arrests him in front of the entire baseball stadium at a very important game. So the whole town is there. Yeah. 
And the thing is, Terry, even though the, the evidence is pretty clear that he did it, they've got his DNA, they've got his fingerprints, they've got eyewitnesses, proof that he committed this murder. And yet Terry is like, I was out of town at a conference and my principal was there. Some of my fellow teachers were there with me. Here I am on camera asking a question of the keynote speaker. That's me. Wow. And yet all these other people in town saw him, you know, enough to, to know that he committed the murder. So yeah. it's as if he was literally in two places at once. So a lot of it is trying to figure out, is this something uncanny? Because it's at first, it does not seem like a supernatural story at all. But clearly with this little twist, you've got to, as the reader, you sort of are thinking, well, given the genre, given the author, given the improbability of this, there's probably something there. Mm -hmm. But everybody is really acting like those kinds of things don't exist. And a lot of it is also kind of about the town and the people and the aftermath of this horrific murder on people like the family of the kid who was killed. Terry's wife is also really obviously devastated. His children are devastated. His daughters start to see things in their room that are kind of creepy. And, and so there's just a lot of strange things happening. And part of it is also Ralph is trying to figure out if he can establish the other side of the alibi to, even though there was film footage of, of Terry at this conference, at the keynote and everything, it's still like, well, you can fake that. Is there, is there physical evidence that he was physically there during pretty much the exact moment that this murder was committed? And so there's some interesting investigative things there. And I don't want to, it pretty quickly goes into a certain direction that is kind of crazy. So I will not go into that. But it's very suspenseful. It's pretty long, but it's not too, too long. And it does pull you along. I read parts of this while I was on a very socially distanced vacation at a little cabin in the woods where my husband and I didn't have any, we had no internet, we had no Wi-Fi, we had no phone cell service. We were just totally in the wilderness. And I'm reading this super scary book late at night. And it was like, totally creeping me out. So it does its job. <laughs> okay, good to know. Yeah, but it's really great. And I, I do like this new direction some of his work is going. I haven't watched the miniseries, but I'm thinking about it. There is a sequel. There's a novella called If It Bleeds. And it's in a collection called If It Bleeds, but it's the title story. And it has to do with one of the characters, again, working another case. So I, I totally recommend it. And again, it's because it's a little more procedural, it's not that gruesome. There are some scary, upsetting things, but it's, it's definitely not old school Stephen King that's very splatter punk and, and hardcore, and there's not a lot of body horror. So I think it's, it's not as gruesome if that's going to bother you. It's more, much more like there's a spooky element of this police story. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I, d I didn't watch the series, but mm -hmm. I remember from the trailer that I watched when I tried to, to decide if it was too spooky or not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there was a female character who featured heavily. So I'm curious about if she was the character you were talking about or if the adaptation is a little bit looser than... Yeah, I think we're probably talking about the same character. It's Holly Gibney is the character's name. In the books, she's white. In the miniseries, she's African-American. And that was a choice the, the showrunners made. And they were going to even, they took the character in a slightly different direction is what I understand. Holly in the books, she's not actually, they don't say she's on the autism spectrum, but I think she's characterized as having some form of OCD. I don't know that they gave her that trait in the show. And they were going to rename her because they were like, well, we're taking her in this totally different direction. And actually, Stephen King was like, 
it's still Holly. You still keep the name. It's fine. And I think she's really become a very interesting, weirdly comforting character to me because she is a creature of extreme habit. And I just, I don't know, for some reason, I think that's because of the pandemic. A lot of the book that features her goes into great detail about her her thought process of solving a crime and also her thought process of getting through life. And it was just kind of endearing. So, and she was like that throughout the Finders Keeper series. And I, I just really, I just really connect with her a little bit. So cool. So yeah. just to be clear, she, she is not the main character in this or the Finders Keeper series, right? She's a support. She's a major supporting character in both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But there's other, there's other women in it. I mean, I don't know which woman you're talking about specifically, but like Terry has I, a I wife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But also Terry has a wife. And in the in the miniseries, he's played by um, Jason Bateman. And I think that is really ingenious casting because the crimes this person is suspected of committing are so horrific. And I feel like Jason Bateman, like sometimes he plays dramatic characters, obviously in Ozark and stuff, but he's kind of like, you know, the likable guy, the the voice of reason in comedies. And you don't necessarily think of him as this absolute monstrous serial killer. So I think right. that's pretty interesting because it's it is the same kind of thing of like, if you find out someone in your small town has done something atrocious, and he's been around children, and a trusted community leader, like that's a that's really going to throw you for a loop. And so I think casting right. someone very likable is pretty accurate to how it feels when that happens. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Well, yeah. cool. I'm, I'm glad you liked it a lot. Thanks. I, I don't know if I'll commit to the book yet. <laughs> long. Yeah. But I'll see. I'll see if the library, if my library has the audio book. Yeah, I think the I think it could really work on audio, depending on who reads it. So yeah, check it out. Yeah, awesome, cool. Anything else you want to say about it? No, I think I'm probably going to try to find if it bleeds and read more Holly Gibney adventures. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. When you do, let me know if I could start with if it bleeds. Oh, okay. Yeah, that'll be a shorter commitment for you. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> But we both watched, speaking of like strong female characters and creepy things, we both watched Lovecraft Country. Yeah. So you watched the first episode, right? Yes. And it started on August 16th and it's been airing every Sunday. So I have watched four episodes. I think five are out now. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit long, farther along than you are. Yeah. And it's based on the book by Matt Ruff. The book is by the same name. But the series was developed by Misha Green, who also wrote or co-wrote all of the episodes. Mm-hmm. And she was involved in a show called Underground a few years ago, which was really good. Journey Smollett was in that. And oh, she's okay. also in this as Letitia Lewis. And it also stars Jonathan Majors as Atticus Tick Freeman. I would call him the main character, but they're both kind of equally the main characters, I think. Yeah. Not sure. Yeah. And Courtney B. Vance as his uncle George, who I was like, oh, wow, that guy, he's in everything. <laughs> <laughs> so what were your first impressions of it? Or do you want to do the synopsis? We can do a little synopsis. I think I think it's probably going to go in some different directions. So yeah, it's sort of it's based on this novel, which I've not read the novel. But from what I understand, it's a composite novel, which I think are always pretty interesting. So it's a interconnected short stories that all take place in the same universe. It's based on the premise that there is a real, well, the the idea of Lovecraft Country is not just from that novel. It's from the idea that H.P. Lovecraft, the author in the early 20th century, wrote, similarly to Stephen King, wrote about this fictional area of New England that included weird 
places like Arkham Asylum and Miskatonic University and Innsmouth, Dunwich, all these little areas. And you can even find a map of Lovecraft Country online <laughs> in the northern parts close to the Atlantic Ocean and, and whatnot. So, and all his stories were set there, Call of Cthulhu, things like that. So, mm-hmm. so they're traveling to that area because Atticus thinks that his father, who's gone missing, might be somewhere up there. And within the universe of the show, H.P. Lovecraft was an author of Pulp Fiction and these areas are thought of to be fictional. So his uncle George, who's a publisher, and is he the writer of something like The Green Book? And he runs a bookstore as well. Yeah. So he, he's well-versed in traveling, but he's like, this isn't real. These are, these are from <laughs> stories. But they still decide to like seek out places that are mentioned in his dad's letter. And I think it was interesting that in the first episode, his dad apparently didn't have great handwriting. And Atticus and George are sort of puzzling over this letter because it's hard to know if he's saying Arkham or Artem or whether it's even related to this area. But there's some kind of birthright that Atticus has through his mother's side that's a little fuzzy and unclear. But based on some creepy things they encounter on the road, might be real. Who knows? (laughs) Yep. Who knows? No spoilers here. No spoilers. (laughs) They go, they go, it's um, Atticus and George and his friend, um, Letitia, who he grew up with, it seems like she's sort of in a place in her life where she's got a little, she's at loose ends a little bit. So Mm -hmm. she decides to go with them kind of, I think, for the adventure of it, and to have something to do and to get out of her sister's hair. And so it's early 50s. And they're in Jim Crow America, and it's three black people, and they encounter some horrific racism, as well as creepy monsters. Yeah, for sure. I mean, also, the racists are creepy monsters as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> I haven't read the book either. It is on my list. I'm probably going to borrow it from my roommate when she's done with it. But I think it's really interesting because obviously, we know now that H.B. Lovecraft was a raging racist, but we still have this legacy of the things that he kind of created and this world that he came up with. And those things are all cool, but the racism isn't. So I think it was a really deliberate and interesting choice to create a novel around all of Lovecraft's stuff, but have black people at the center of it. Mm-hmm. And and because of that, you do have the, and because of when it's set, you do have the kind of dueling horrors of the real world mm-hmm. that they're going through as black people. And then the actual horrors that <laughs> I was okay I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to make it through this and some episodes are a little bit too scary for me really yeah the first episode wasn't too too bad but it it definitely is that juxtaposition between real world horror and otherworldly horror that makes it really interesting but also scary for me yeah yeah I knew it would be scary I knew it'd be creepy Lovecraft stuff is very upsetting and I was I was glad that they made it clear what the characters were going through and put them as the point of view characters. I think that was super important. And you immediately sympathize with them. Mm-hmm. I really like Letitia. I think she's amazing, hilarious, and also extremely <laughs> strong. And Journey Smollett was Black Canary in the Birds of Prey movie. So I already was like, yes. And I think it was a neat choice to make Atticus. Um, he's a Korean War veteran, and there's something else mysterious about his time in Korea, which is pretty cool. And they also make him a fan of pulp fiction and science fiction, 
Letty is yeah. too, to a lesser extent, but the opening shot of him is he's having this dream of being in basically a Pulp Fiction story. And he talks with a woman on a bus that he meets about his love of, oh, like the John Connor books, actually, that we've mm -hmm. talked with our friend Matt about. Yeah. And so that was a little squee moment, too. To, oh, wow, that's cool. <laughs> but they also, he and this woman discuss the fact that a lot of these pulp writers are white men, are racist white men, and stories that center whiteness. And his answer to her was, stories are like people you have to sometimes overlook the bad to get to the good. And I think that's what people do with H.P. Lovecraft generally. He was more racist even for his time, doing and saying things that were extremely problematic. And yet his, his work, especially among like kind of nerd culture, is still immensely popular. And I think this is a way of reclaiming it, taking the stories away from the creator and deliberately doing it in a way that probably would have made him really angry. And I kind of love that. Like, yeah. he doesn't own that stuff anymore. It gets to live on and people who love it get to get to be the heroes now. And considering some other authors that I really like that have lately proven to be horrible people, I found that <laughs> to be an idea that was immensely appealing. Like, oh, wow, yeah. it's so weird how these books just showed up out of the blue in this forest and we don't know who wrote them. <laughs> I think it's super relevant right now because so many of us are dealing or so many of us who consume popular culture regularly and love mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. we i think the just the more we live the more we realize that everyone who creates is problematic in some way because we're all human and we're all fallible but it's there's a line of like what we tolerate and what we don't and mm -hmm. how we can erase the author if if they're not just you know accidentally problematic or they're learning and they're growing as a human being between that and oh, they're actually kind of terrible people. Mm -hmm. So the idea of, of taking taking that away from H.P. Lovecraft and making it their own is, is yeah, really cool and really appealing to mm -hmm. me. Yeah. And I think this so far it does a really good job of that. I understand that it gets grosser as the episodes go on. I get a little, there's something that I have about, so this is an HBO show, an HBO Sunday night show. And I used to be all about like True Blood and stuff like that. And Often for me with some of these shows that are horror, there is often a point where they want to be shocking for the sake of it. So please tell me, is that you're able to get through it and you're more squeamish than I? Is it going to be okay? Right. Am I going to make it? <laughs> um, yeah, there were. I think there was definitely a moment in episode four. Mm -hmm. I think it might have been episode three, but something happened and I can't remember exactly what it was, but I looked away and my roommate was just like, okay, don't look. Don't look. Okay, it's safe to look now. <laughs> but it's... <laughs> but I am a baby about the, the, those things. I would say it's not actually super, super squeamish right now. Okay. Or super, super gory. Mm -hmm. The scariest episode for me was episode three, and it wasn't really gory at all. It was all, like, psychological and, like, ghost stuff, and I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I was freaking out, but it wasn't because things were too gory. Okay. But I am really glad that you mentioned it's a composite novel because I didn't know that because I haven't oh. read it. Mm -hmm. And I really, really like the show, but every episode has felt a little bit disjointed. Mm. And I was sort of like, how does this follow that? Or like, they lost this thread and like, it, it'll come back. But yeah, I felt 
that it was a little bit disjointed, but that makes a lot more sense now that I know that it it comes from a composite novel. Yeah. And I think they are, from what my roommate has told me so far, there are a lot of differences between the oh. book and the novel. Okay. So I think they are trying to like smooth some of that over. And one of the things that I thought was cool is that Misha Green is, is a woman and some of the characters in the book who are male are female in the series. Oh, so I thought that was really cool. And, you know, one is sort of like, a, not a background character, but one is very much a secondary character and one is a larger secondary character. But I still think, I still think it's sort of in the same vein as, as what she did with the, well, she and Matt Ruff did with the story as a whole, like kind of taking, taking this stuff away from H.P. Lovecraft and going, this is ours now. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's just sort of extending that, making it more inclusive. Mm-hmm. So I just, yeah, I thought that was really neat. Cool. And one of the characters is really uh, cool in like a an evil way. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what her motivations are or, or how her story will end up, but I'm very, very intrigued by her. Mm. But not to the point where I like want her to win. I just, I hope she doesn't hurt the main character. <laughs> oh, yeah. What I want to what I want to do with this, I want to keep watching it and I would like you to keep watching it too. And then at the end of the mm-hmm. season, let's do kind of a little recap of how we feel about okay. it. Yeah. Yeah, that would be awesome. Cool. And maybe one of us will read the book in there too. Yes. Hey, maybe we can bring on a friend who is really into horror and writing yeah. horror and yeah. they can have a different perspective. That'd be super. Let's do it. Awesome. That'll be a few weeks in the future, obviously. Yeah. So next week, next week, we'll be talking about more great pop culture topics. So stick around for that. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can follow me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. And me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find us together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast, where you can also find the link to our listener survey. If you'd rather email us, you can do that at PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and safe. And join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs>